0: Hello, 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 and welcome to the 10th official episode of the Economical Rise Podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and over here, we hope to serve you the grains of capitalism. Today, we're going to be talking about the video gaming industry and the intricacies that drive its economy. Now, to give the issue some perspective, I would first like to play a clip. YouTube launched a new video network yesterday where you can watch other people play video games. For real, the whole network. It's called uh, the We Should All Be Very Ashamed of Ourselves For Failing As Parents channel. <laughs> Actually, it's called YouTube Gaming. And uh, I don't get that. To me, you know, watching another person play video games is like going to a restaurant and having someone eat your food for you. Just if you like them, play them. But I guess I'm getting old. When I was a kid, you only watched other kids play video games when you ran out of quarters. And then you'd stand there. But apparently, there's big money in this. And one of the top video game players is a guy named PewDiePie, he reportedly makes 4 million dollars a year doing this, which is funny because that is precisely how much you would have to pay me to sit through one of those videos of somebody <laughs> Now that clip was television host Jimmy Kimmel poking fun at the idea of watching other people play video games. While this idea might be alien and somewhat amusing to those unfamiliar with the industry, it is still worth pointing out a couple of things from it. Firstly, when he talks about how the YouTuber PewDiePie made $4 million from uploading videos of himself playing video games, he isn't exaggerating. There are thousands upon thousands of YouTubers who currently do this to varying degrees of success, some who try and fail, some who make enough to live on, and others who are enormously successful from it. What is even more incredible is the rise of a parallel phenomenon, that of streaming video games, where audiences tune in to watch people play games live. With sustained audience interest in this space, there are now a bundle of platforms where streamers can actively do this, from Twitch and YouTube gaming that is more pronounced in western markets, to Huya and Douyu which is more pronounced in eastern markets, or rather in China in general. Secondly, It is worth pointing out how Kimmel is only criticizing the low-hanging fruit here. For while streaming has become a lucrative venture for many individuals, it is arguably still overshadowed by the rise of the larger phenomenon, that of eSports. So what exactly is eSports? Well, to put it simply, eSports is the industry built around competitive gaming. Therefore, much like traditional competitive sports such as football or basketball, There are live broadcasts, color commentators, spectators, and millions in prize money to be distributed. To give some credence to the size of the esports market, the market research firm Newzoo has estimated in their 2017 Global Esports Market Report that the industry will generate approximately 696 million in 2017, where brands will contribute 517 million. Also global esports viewership is estimated to reach 385 million unique viewers in 2017, made up of 191 million uh, of viewers categorized as enthusiasts, or consumers who watch esports more than once a month and or participate in esports leagues, and a further 194 million occasional viewers, or those categorized as consumers who watch esports less than once a month. To brands, therefore, Esports and streamers present an avenue to reach a target demographic of male millennials in the ages of you know, 21 to 35, where Newzoo's report points out makes up 50% of the esports audience in the US. This is perhaps the more natural step for gaming or hardware-related brands, such as Intel or SteelSeries, to make, but it has not prevented other brands, such as Coca-Cola, Samsung, or MasterCard, to invest advertising dollars as well. However, this is not to say that esports is without its flaws. After all, the industry is still very much in its early days, very much like the, you know, the, quote, the wild west. In this sense, there are still many structural problems that persist. For instance, player representation by agents or lawyers is still very low, meaning that players can often find themselves on the short end of player contract deals or sponsorship deals with no way to recover damages. Elsewhere, the practicing esports lawyer Bryce Blum wrote in an article about the governing environment in the game League of Legends, where it is owned and operated by the company Riot. This centralized management system also means that Riot takes all disputes into their own hands, or as Blum describes, quote, Riot acts as judge, jury, and executioner. They write, interpret, and enforce rules with no third-party input, transparency, or the opportunity to appeal, end quote. This has led to a situation whereby one of Blum's clients, Team Renegades, was banned from one of the game's main leagues on allegations of player mistreatment. While this action might be acceptable if the evidence warrants it, so far Riot has refused to reveal what evidence they based their decision on, as well as refused to allow any chance of appeal. As Blum points out, quote, the dispute resolution mechanisms and the punishment procedures in place are not something you would want for any government, court of law, or administrative panel. They lack the basic indicia of fairness that you will want to see doling out punishments or resolving disputes." End quote. Structural problems such as these, therefore, are problematic in that they deter further investment and soils the industry's credibility and legitimacy. This just opens up some curiosity on the issue. What factors have contributed to the esports rise? What about esports makes it appealing to millions of viewers worldwide? And will the industry be able to overcome its structural problems? And what will an acceptable standard in the industry look like? With me today to talk about these issues is my fourth ever guest on the show and dear friend of mine, Zensher Husrif. Now, Zensher has plenty of insight to offer in the esports industry, considering his stints as an editor, broadcaster, and writer, as well as his involvement within different gaming communities. Furthermore, Xancho is also on the verge of completing a master's degree in law and can thereby touch on the structural inadequacies of the industry and what may be done to improve it. Without further ado, let's move on to the interview. Alright, welcome Zensher to the Economical Rise podcast. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I understand I understand that you had a very, very busy week completing your thesis and everything. So really really appreciate the time with you do. <laughs> yeah.
1: Being able to the... it's a hectic week, but I'm done, so yeah, let's do this podcast.
0: Yep. Alright, so to get things started, the uh, first question I want to ask here. Most video game players, right, they rarely venture into sort of like playing or watching the game or even, you know, participating in some online forums like Reddit or something. Mm-hmm. Yet you have taken one step further and gone to other roles in within eSports or gaming such as editing, writing and even, you know, broadcasting or, or being like the shoutcaster you know, for different tournaments and stuff. Yeah. So when was the moment that you decided that you wanted to get more involved within the industry? I think the moment for me um, was twofold. Uh, Firstly, for me, I didn't
1: pick up gaming at a young age. My parents were very against this idea of gaming. Mm. So I only got introduced into gaming properly when I was like 19. When I had the liberty to tell them I wanted to play video games. you Yeah, I'm not kidding. like they would lock away the Game Boys. They would not let us play the computer plus 8pm. So I never mm. played any of these games. So when I could, mm. I started playing. And one of the games that really got me into this and started this whole thing was Hearthstone. Mm. And how it happened actually was Hearthstone is a card game. It's mm. an online card game. It's supposed to be free to play. And I was mm. free to play for six months. And one night, I came home ridiculously smashed, and I spent $300 USD on this game. And I opened packs and everything, and I had no recollection of this. I woke up the next morning, and realized I had spent this much money, and I went, oh, shit. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I, you know, I didn't tell my parents about it, but they always were saying, well, make some money from the game. You like this game so much, do something about it. So I got better at the game, I learned how to play the game, eventually I started writing for free. Yeah. Uh, for a Singaporean-based website and team I uh, started editing articles for them yeah. And I really liked the response And I was interviewing players from Malaysia From Indonesia From Thailand yeah. And I really liked the community And I people began to engage me more And like ask me if I was interested in doing stuff So I never said no mm. Whenever someone wanted me to broadcast Or do an event I would always say Yeah, sure, why not? And... Ever since then, everyone I've worked with in this community has been engaging, has been friendly, has been so warm. And it was at this moment I probably realised that this is what I really want to do. I want to do Mm esports as long as I can, as much as I can, and not only in a part-time capacity. So that's when I decided to make the push. So
0: you wouldn't really say that, you know, you're doing it a hobby, as you you You're sort of like put in this position whereby, oh, I think I spent too much money and I need to make something out of it. Was,
1: I think it was a mixture of both. It was that I was doing it, I liked it, but I saw no need to push myself into it. But when I spent that money, I was, and I, I'm not a rich person, I did not have yeah. a spare $300. Yeah. That, that was all the money I had in the world yeah. and it was gone. And I was like, well, if I can make something back from it, then I thought that would be it. But the more I worked in esports, the more I did part-time things, the more I realised I actually loved it. Mm. I loved every moment of it when I it was not like doing schoolwork or coursework. I would actually revel in the idea that I was Mm -hmm. doing this. You know, I I enjoyed every moment and that was very rare. I don't think... I think a lot of people can go their entire lives looking for something that they take such pleasure in. So, I think I was uh, lucky enough. A drunk mistake, but lucky enough to find it. (laughs) Yeah, so...
0: Right. So, you know, there's some people, they're really, really into games, right? Mm -hmm. And they want to take it... They want to get involved in the the gaming industry, Mm -hmm. esports. They do stuff like maybe they get into game design or Mm -hmm. programming, you know, game development... You know, why did you go into sort of writing and editing these kind of roles rather than uh, maybe, maybe getting more involved with the, creating the game itself?
1: Okay, so why I think there's a kind of clear dichotomy is even more present in the esports uh, industry. Mm-hmm. It's like There are two types of people within yeah. the esports industry. Yeah. There are people who are able to actually make the games and people who actually enjoy the games. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that people who make the games are not able to enjoy them, yeah. but I'm saying that they have the ability and it's not an easy thing. It's not... Game programming is not something that you do because you're, you're independent or you're because you know, you're quirky or you're strange. You know, Obviously, that might be motivating factors, but that's not the only reason. They have a talent. They have the ability to do so. Mm. I always felt that I had the ability to speak and to write. You know Mm. that's why I I pursued English I did literature I eventually did law Mm. I always felt I had that so I thought I had a unique skill set and on top of the passion I had for these games and this love and also because I was denied from playing them so young when I started playing them I went overboard I was everything I wanted to play everything and I wanted to go back and try this game was good when I was young okay let's play that let's try that you know so I felt that I, I don't think I had the skill set or the ability or the tenacity to suddenly go and tell yeah. myself I'm going to relearn programming and coding and try to become a game designer itself. Yeah. But um, I think I had the ability to try to show people that this is what gaming was. It wasn't what we thought it was. It wasn't what my parents feared it was. You know, yeah. It wasn't um, horrible, misbehaved, underage kids running yeah, away yeah, to yeah. play video games. You know? yeah. So I like that. I like being the, I wouldn't say I'm being a voice, but I like presenting the other side. Because people mm. always have this false conception of what gaming is. Mm. So I, I like that. And I think I had the ability to bring that aclo- uh, across sorry, to, to a, vi- uh, a wider, vast audience. And that's why I decided in this particular area of writing and speaking and casting. I
0: see. Yeah, that, that, that sort of plays into my, my next question here, which is that, you know, how has working within eSports sort of affected your experience as a consumer, as a person playing games or watching games?
1: I think it's affected in some ways because when obviously when you're on the consumer side, when you're on the consumer side, of anything yeah. you don't really see the industries or scales, you don't see what's happening behind the scenes. Yeah, like all of us go to McDonald's, all of yeah. us buy food. Yeah, you know, but all of us don't really realize how the franchises are managed, how the yeah. you know the story is. And for those who I want to do anything entrepreneurial, there's a great movie called The Founder, which features the how Ray Kroc made McDonald's into what it was. Mm, mm. So a recent movie? Yeah, it's a yeah. recent movie. It's very well done actually. Mm. Um, so when you work on the side of eSports, you begin to see a lot of things. You begin to realize that the gaming industry is it's not hard to penetrate. Yeah. But it is a relatively uncertain market. I mean, yeah. on one side you have the multi billion dollar games, you have indie game developers, you have upcoming titles, you know, and people right now are beginning to realize, you know, there is a potential here, the game developments, game sales have you know, increase by huge margins from mm. when they first come out. Now, they're billion-dollar industries. A single game title for one developer can be worth a billion dollars, you mm. know? So, when you go in from the working perspective and you see it from the inside out, you begin to realise that there are a lot of things that are not actually the way it should be. Mm-hmm. There are not enough um, kind of ways to interact with the consumers. And so you don't blame them because some of the gaming companies, when they started, I don't think majority of them Ever could realise how big gaming would be. Yeah. You know? So that is that kind of gap and there are certain things. So I actually, with my friends right now, we're thinking of writing a, a white paper report on how mm. the fringe industry uh, alongside the gaming industry has not fully developed. It's not matured yet. Mm. You, know, it's not like the East, you know, it's not like the proper sports industries, you know, that have been fully developed and there are people who some might call vultures, people who some say have developed the industry. They're not there yet. So the esports industry is very different from the inside because you begin to realise that people are trying to do it people are trying to get it across and mm. you know it's still very young since it's in an in infantile stage it's growing up it's learning what it is and it's Attracting interest because of its wealth. So, you have mm. companies who are able to promote, like, you know, Dota, the international on a wide scale, yeah. you know, change yeah. perceptions, release movies about it, you know, free yeah. to play. You know, yeah. my parents, I forced them to watch free to play, yeah. you know, and they liked it. So, there are different ways it's being done, but you see that they're trying to put the things together and it's working, but there are a lot of space for you to enter. That's why I believe the esports industry is it's growing. It's a very welcoming industry, but it, you need to have a uh, idea of what you want to give to the industry as well.
0: Mm, mm. And it definitely helps because you've uh, interacted so much with people and working on the inside. Mm. So it helps you get a lot more, gain a lot more insight. Yes, get a better idea of what needs to be done, what can be done. Yeah, i on, on that line as well. It's
1: because like. As much as I interacted, I actually now, if I really can, I would like to spend one to two years and I have been applying to work mm. inside a big gaming corporation to see what it's really like on the mm. inside, to experience that two years. Mm. I'm not going to say I'm going to spend 15 years at Blizzard <laughs> or 15 years at Riot. I just want to get a better feel because I think the industry is going to develop bigger than a lot of people anticipated to.
0: Mm, I see. Alright, so this will, I want to talk about your experience with... Uh, your, your law degree, right? You're, you're currently finishing up a law master's degree in Leiden in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, how has that experience shaped your view towards eSports? Uh, and has has that sort of like changed your career outlook in the near future? I mean, it has. I think it's going to sound very pompous for
1: me for what I'm about to say next, but yeah. right? It's the truth. And I know not, I don't know how to mince my words any other <laughs> way. When I did law, I always knew that it would not be the only thing that I would pursue in my life. I was acutely aware of the fact mm. that I would never be, I would never want to be labeled just a lawyer. Mm. And I do understand that a lot of people have worked their entire lives to become lawyers. Yeah, yeah. So I always felt that law would be, well, in general, a great backup. It's something <laughs> to fall back on. It's something something good. And when I did it, obviously, when I do anything, I eventually develop a passion. So in law, I had a particular uh, passion for international humanitarian law and dealing yeah. with conflicts and strife. So I did my master's and I focus in that. And of course, part of me wants to go and wants to help and work, you know, and try to make a difference in the world. Mm. But the more you do it, sometimes the more enclosed you feel and begin to realize that people who are a lot smarter, a lot better than me in law, <laughs> have not changed anything. You know, it's still a horrifying world we face out there. Yeah. It's horrifying truth. So I would, I would be lying if I didn't say part of me is doing the esports, not run away, but to see whether I can take that time and try to fix anything else and try to do my passion before I commit myself into this thing. And my perspectives on esports and the gaming industry, I wouldn't say it's been affected or it's changed by my time in law, mm. but my experience with the people I've met throughout Europe and throughout the law school, and like these people have a tendency to be very driven, and there's not there's no fault of theirs to be very specific in the law, and especially professors and everyone interact. As soon as you mention esports, they have this kind of cursory, kind of necessary yeah. like oh really, video games, <laughs> like and you feel like, I feel like we need. Not to change the perspective, but we need to show them that it's more than that, Hmm. you see. And when the law first started in the 18th century, you want to go far back as that in England, you could teach it yourself, you know. The law was at one point of time, not a billion dollar industry it was today. It eventually grew and obviously it's uh, one of the most pertinent industries. Everything we do is law. So, I mean, there are some correlations, but I was focusing more on the laws of war. So mm. my interactions between gaming and law, my law degrees never actually match. But right, right. it was a good thing to have. Uh, now I'm taking the time, I'm taking a year. Uh, I've spoken my parents because they still pay for everything. So, you know, I'm taking a year to pursue eSports. And if that doesn't work out, if this passion, this dream doesn't fuel my desire, I hope it does. But if it doesn't, then I will go back to law. But I don't think I will ever give up gaming. Mm, I'll, see. I'll continue it as a hobby, as a passion, but I'll do law then.
0: Yeah. Right, so so the reason I, I wanted to ask that mm. question about your experience in Leiden sure. and Europe was that, you know, in the Western markets, they have different perceptions, different views, and they, in, in terms of, like, gaming as a career, I think they're more open to the idea, mm. and there are a lot more, like, teams or brands that are set up, that are willing to sponsor players to take up that, uh, I would say, in, in Europe compared, in the Western world, compared to, say, you know, in Southeast Asia, uh, maybe in China or in Korea, you have that, but not really in Southeast Asia. So, how how... How is, the, how is the difference uh, to, uh, in, in between like the Western and Eastern world? You... Okay,
1: so uh, I actually think within your question, I don't think it's a wrong question. I, mm. I, I think it's a very good question. But I think my perspective on the issue, and I might be wrong, but mm. I think the way we should address this is that we are approaching it fundamentally wrong. Mm. So uh, while esports is extremely, extremely huge in Europe and America, mm. I think obviously, I mean, people who listen to your podcast would know and people who are just meeting me, we should know we, we are Asians, we are Singaporeans, we come from a country yeah. that is driven to work and it's within all the DNA of Southeast Asia and the yeah. Asian pers- perspective, you know, sometimes it comes across as slightly slightly um, racist kind of stereotype, sometimes yeah. it comes across as um, a kind of nerdy stereotype, yeah. but I think the first thing that we need to deal with is that while the, the market is huge in Europe, Europe itself is huge, you know, it mm-hmm. accounts for the majority of the world. So because of that, you're still going to have people who have no idea what these teams are. No idea what Dota is. No Mm. idea what Hearthstone is. No idea what Twitch is. You know, you you can't easily meet these people. It's not like every other person you talk to is going to know it. But the thing that they have going for them is that people are not judged based on what they do. You see, Mm. people live their lives according to their own set of beliefs. If they want to be something, they take pride in doing it. And no one judges them, no society. And obviously, the society itself is a bit easier to live in. You know, the government benefits in certain countries, well-developed countries. You are not talking about Eastern Europe and these kind of places, but like Netherlands there. You know, the government does help you to pursue your dreams. So, it's a more welcoming culture, not only for esports. If you want to be an artist, you want to be a writer, you want to be a poet, you know, you want to be a football player, no one goes to you and says, that's impossible, stop you know, people say go and try. Mm. In, I find in Asia and Southeast Asia it's slightly different in Asia there's always that perception that we need to do more. You know, standards of living are increasing when in unfortunately we're in a younger part of the world that is developing that's, yeah. you know, it, it forced to do manufacturing all the skill-based jobs yeah. and, uh, the, you know, the basis of who you are, what you are is also determined by what you do. Yeah. So I think that weighs in pers- perspectives as well and it's changing. And then, to the final part of the question, I believe you said China. I think, I mean, I, I can't really say. I've interacted with Chinese players before and I've obviously followed the Chinese scene as well. I think China has a different perspective. Firstly, it's, it's not as Asian and it's not as Western, but it seems to be this kind of thing if you watch the documentaries, any of the sport, esports teams in China, mm. it seems to be more driven to prove that they are the best. Mm. You see? So the esports industry is fueled there by the sheer amount of people who play the games mm. and also by the desire to show the world China is number one. I'm not saying it's a kind of patriotic thing. I think it's something that, you know, Chinese people are very proud of to show that, you know, they are dominant, you know, they are willing to put in the mm. hours. They will do more than any mm. other team will do because they want to show you they are the best. In that perspective, it yeah. doesn't matter whether you play esports, whether you're playing, you know, tennis or whether you're playing table tennis yeah. or whether you're at the Olympics. They want to show you that it doesn't matter who we are, we will dominate. And that's yeah. what the Chinese culture is, you yeah. know, is that we are the best. And I think that what fuel them to be a very competitive esports scene and it helps that they have so many people playing mm. it's even more of a rewarding feeling to say you know you are the number one yeah, player in yeah. this game in China you know people take it has a lot of respect so i think it's a three very different kind of perspectives of what esports is like so I think eventually we're going to move forward. Eventually we're going to come to a place where people are going to realise that it's a viable career. Mm. But just like any other career, you're obviously going to have people who do amazingly well. And you're going to have people that you're never going to hear of. Mm. I think that's a given between a human condition and what it's doing. It's irrelevant whether it's esports, whether it's law. I think that's my answer to that particular question.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a a fascinating answer. Because... You you mentioned a lot about maybe you know the infrastructure, how the government you know helps out different industries, their attitudes one toward, towards a different interests and stuff like that, and perhaps maybe you know so so some of the cultural factors as well. You're talking about how, how how people in China they want to do it for because they want to be the best because the competition is so fierce, in that instance. So so yeah, that's that's really good. All right, so let's move on to the next uh next topic here. I want to talk about streaming, right? This is where I want to. <laughs> You. So, in, so, in the introduction, I played this uh, Jimmy Kimmel clip. So, it's a very, very famous clip where he's like criticizing people who watch streamers, watch people play video games, and, and you know, their audience and stuff like that. So, what is your own opinion on this matter?
1: I mean, my own opinion. I mean, okay, it's going to sound very, very conspiracy theory right now. Yeah. But I always believe in seeing from the other perspective. So, okay. there are two ways to view Jimmy Kimmel's uh, comments either it's his own personal opinion, mm. or it's very simply clickbait. Okay, if you say something is not good, the people who believe it's good, they're gonna click on it, they're gonna watch it. Yeah, I'm. am b- pretty sure you watched it because you saw the title and you found it related to us. and it's obviously someone important saying it. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel might not necessarily have any opinion on the esports industry, but you have to remember that when he does a show, he has entire team behind him. And how they want to advertise the market is not always going to be good, you know. People put out bad stuff so people click on it. You know, people put out this kind of thing. So, I'm not saying maybe Jimmy Kimmel, that is his full opinion on it. I hope it's not because Mm -hmm. I think it's a bit wrong to look at it that way. Mm -hmm. But just like with any other industry, like, if you look at it, there will always be people going... That's nonsense. Why, why is anyone doing it? You know, you have it from performance art to people who do, you know, like Banksy, mm-hmm. you know, Damien Hirst, people go like, anyone can do it to which his answer is always, but I did it first, you know? <laughs> so I think Jimmy Kimmel's opinions on it, it's one person's, uh, he does have a huge platform, you know, he is well known, but I'm not saying that it might be his pure entitlement, it might be right, more, right. it might be something to just sell views. So, right, right. Uh, But if you're talking about the context of what he's saying not opposed to why he's saying it, in the context, I think, again, it comes back to this perspective. Gaming has always been frowned upon. Mm. You know, it's been frowned upon because of the stereotypes and the culture behind it. And streaming itself is a very different beast from gaming. It's not only video games and it's developing now. People begin to realize that you can stream multiple things. You don't have to play video games. You can play in real life. People are doing paintings. People are doing cosplays. People are doing how to do a website. You know, mm. it's, it's a way for you to interact with a large group of people and to monetize it. You mm. know, and it's, it has that live kind of feature that YouTube is missing and YouTube recently developed with YouTube mm. live yes. but Twitch itself, if you're talking about streaming you obviously go to Twitch but mm. Twitch is not the only streaming website there are hosts of streaming websites if yeah. you want to go even as far webcam, you know, the kind of webcam models and all the kind of dodgy yeah. websites <laughs> that's streaming as well, you yeah. see streaming is not just video games streaming is what someone is doing yeah. video games just happen to fit very nicely because, well, if I'm going to sit in front of a computer for 10 hours and talk about something yeah. why not play a game yeah. at the same time, you yeah. see yeah. So yeah, so I, I don't think that Jimmy Kimmel's opinions are that important. Firstly, because what I said, it might be from just some PR right, right. idea. And secondly, even if whatever Jimmy Kimmel thinks that video game streaming is like and viewing People always had wrong perceptions, you know. People can't predict how market trends happen. People can't predict that, oh, this thing's gonna be huge, you know. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. one can say, you know. Yeah. You know, something's come out, and you go, people go, what the hell was that? And then twenty years later, there's a cult following, yeah. <laughs> you know. People are like, oh, so that's a thing now, you know, like Napoleon Dynamite when it came out, like, like fridget spinners, fridget spinners. You know, no one, no one can see this kind of thing. You know, is yeah. the eventuality of human invention and discovery yeah. that something for some unknown absurd reason like takes. Uh, it takes hold of the human attention and just drives it. Yeah. I think streaming is a good facet for video games, but it shouldn't be looked as as the same thing. Mm. You know, Streaming is a way that video games have been bolstered because it seems to be the own way to do something, to watch a game to a stream and stuff like that. Mm. But thing is, video games, the offline titles who are being played, although they can be played on streams as well, they're doing just as well without the stream sales. You know, They're still performing as million and billion dollars sale titles. Mm. So his comments, I think I, I would take it with a pinch of salt. In the state. yeah.
0: See. All right, so we're talking about streaming, and we're we talking about people, you know, who have been we've been the reason why Kimmel, of course, came to talk about this was uh he was he was trying to highlight the fact that PewDiePie was like making four million dollars, right? And I think I, personally, I think it, it's kind of fascinating that we have advanced to such an age, right, in our economy, where people can actually make a living doing of this. Hundreds and hundred, hundreds and hundreds of people worldwide are streaming to make a living and stuff like that, right? So then, of course. In any case uh, where people can actually make a living in an economy, you have to ask about what value they're actually bringing to society that people are actually willing to spend their time watching them or pay money to so that they can live on, right? Mm-hmm. So other than providing an insight into maybe gameplay mechanics or stuff like that, you know, what value do you think streamers give as viewers or maybe uh, other, other, other people such as brands or, or, or people, sponsors who, who, who are... So, so associated with them
1: okay i think so yeah the first thing that people who are listening to this who might listen to this uh have to understand that streaming is not tv it's not mm-hmm. jimmy kimmel when mm-hmm. jimmy kimmel came out and when jimmy kimmel said that thing we got the four million dollars of pewdiepie or you know when uh, james gordon gets in the car and sings carpool karaoke yeah, you watch yeah. it you laugh that's a million dollar video jimmy Kimmel's probably earns him a few hundred thousand as well yeah. just for him saying dumb shit the thing that's different about streaming is that you can actually talk now, right now, I need to imagine that you could have, at the moment when Jimmy Kimmel said that, in chat, you can go, what the hell, Jimmy Kimmel? You know, and if you pay money or even though there's not a lot of people on stream, Jimmy Kimmel will be reacting to you, be like, yes, this is my perspective, you see. So, streaming is slightly different from TV. Why people mm. are willing to spend that time is because you're interacting with the person who's doing it. It's not only the game design. Imagine now if you could sit down and for seven hours just watch Lionel Messi cleaning his boots. And around, along the way, you can donate $20 or $50 when you ask him, by the way, Messi, what do you think of this? You can ask him anything in the world, any free topic. When it was his first kiss? You know, you can ask him, what was it like when you scored his first goal? That personal thing. So when they're giving back, I think firstly, people need to understand that streaming has an interaction mm. between the streamer and the people viewing. Yes. And then on top of that, you can form a culture within the stream because the person who streams has his own persona. He creates his own community. You see, it's because at the end of the day, as chat forum as it might be, as online it might be, it's yeah. real people doing real things. So, what I think is giving back is creating this sense of community, this mm. sense of understanding, you know, the branding and working together. And what it can give to brands and consumers is that these people actually represent something. Mm. Like, you know, not all streamers are the same, you know, you're not gonna watch, uh, you're not going to watch Comedy Central expecting to see something uh deadly serious or a documentary by Vice. You're going to yeah. watch it to see like Aziz Ansari perform something, you yeah, yeah. You're going to watch Vice to watch something. So different streamers have different things. So you can spend hours because maybe that one particular streamer he is uh he's known for being funny. You know, he's an entertaining guy. He does something stupid. Or that girl streamer is known for being like extremely professional you mm-hmm. like watch her because you he want to learn certain things for the games. You know, it's each stream is different and there are millions of streams if you combine all the streaming sites there's so many things there's so many different people it's a way to interact with people across the globe in more than just a setting of TV so I think we need to view streaming slightly separate from TV and even Netflix it's a whole different beast on its own Mm. you know it's a whole different entity it's human interaction done easy over something you like yeah. Imagine you can walk up To someone for the first time And go Do you like this video game? Cool Let's watch the pro play? Yes let's do that You know you just go over Immediately it cuts down All that barriers Yeah. You know It yeah. goes straight away And you can cl- create yourself online You can be more than who you are Or you can be exactly who you are Yeah. It's your option And I yeah. think that's what Appeals to so many people And that's why It keeps people coming back For more than uh, yeah. A few hours Yeah,
0: yeah. That, that, That's a really great insight Because you're, you're talking about like a fundamental structural difference between just watching people and interaction, yeah. whereby you can type and talk with other people. And of course, there's a there that leads to like the building of like online communities mm. and, and people with forums and they get more engaged with the game, more so than you would say in, in, in a traditional sport such as football or basketball. All right, so as far as I know, um, you've had some experience streaming on Twitch yourself for games such as Dota 2 or Hearthstone. So what is the perspective like from the viewpoint of the streamer as compared to that of a spectator?
1: Okay, I think I would do a great disservice to a lot of streamers is to kind of account myself to their level. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I think it would be an insult to them and what they do and what they stand for. What I can say is that I streamed and I started streaming not to do it as a career. I started because I had to host tournaments on my, mm. my, uh, my account. Mm-hmm. I had to have an account to host. Mm-hmm. I never really intended. I might in the near future consider streaming, but... I, I did it more because I was hired to cast events. So I had to do it through a Twitch platform. So I had
0: to stream. So Mine was a job thing. So it was a sort of an accidental...
1: And it wasn't accidental. It was, uh, the team that hired me knew I had to do it that way. Incident? Yeah, incidental. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. I was
0: told to do so.
1: Right. And I, I only had viewers because it was their tournament. And whenever I did broadcasting, wasn't for my channel, I went down to a studio on their stream. Mm. So the thing is, um, not only can people own streams, companies, game... Um, gaming teams can have their own individual streams. So I did from that perspective. On that note, I have tried streaming. It's very hard to get noticed if you're not good. I think one of the things that would throw you off at first is the you have to constantly be able to speak. You know, it is a it's a different set of skills altogether, you know it's a I what, think what set sort of skills do you think? So speaking, ability to engage, hmm. make someone laugh, you know, talk, have a conversation, you know, hmm. uh, explain why you're doing certain things when it comes to gaming in certain steps. Yeah. I think you need to be able to have all that. And do it in a whole new environment, which is what streaming is. Yeah. So I think that was a bit difficult. I know I can speak. I know I can talk. But to engage it and like you need to build a community. And I, I like I say it would be a very great dishonor to the people who have done so well with streaming because it's a very I would say it's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, difficult things are like you know shoveling shit. You know, that is a difficult-ass <laughs> job. Someone still has to damn do it because we still use shit as fertilizer. <laughs> you know, that is a difficult job. Streaming has its own set of difficulties. It's very hard to translate if you never tried it. It's not yeah. for everyone. Yeah. Even people who are immensely good at a certain game might not be have the ability to stream. Yeah. You, know, you need to be confident in who you are because the unfortunate side is there are people who come there, random people, and attack you for who you are. It's really, at the end of the day, how strong are you as an individual to stand among these crowds and say, look at me. Mm. and it's a very hard thing to do, alright, and it's a very hard thing to get recognised and get noticed for, and the entertaining people, the serious people, the smart people, the charismatic people who really are, they really are something, mm. you know, they've done something for themselves, mm. they're the kind of people that you'll pick out in a crowd and go, that guy, you know, that girl, she, they have that spark about them, so I mm. think streaming is just like anything else in this whole scale of trying to figure out what we are as yeah. a human race, is not being different, being who you are, being proud of it, and I think I never ventured that much into the streaming side of it. Yeah, I did it more of a casting side. I, got, I had a job, I had to hire, I had to talk about a game. Right. People hated me, people liked me, I didn't have to care. You know, this is their lives and they really take it seriously.
0: Mm. Right, to, to build on there, right? so some of them are uh if they're coming in from the pro players and they stream from time to time. They, they have built their own brand by being you know professional for playing, playing in the industry, in the esports industry for a long while. So people know them, people want to tune into them. Do you think this gives them an advantage over other people who say they have to do it from scratch, who are not, not really competitive for anything?
1: The thing about esports is it doesn't fit into a lot of molds. It's not TV, it's yeah. not sports, yeah. it's, it's not it's video it's games. Own thing, right? It's its own hybrid of things. And because yeah. of that, a streamer and a professional player I'm not broken into this dichotomy between like Steven Gerrard retiring and he'll never ever play professionally again mm. a streamer is a person who dedicates a certain amount of time and a certain amount of dedication to maintaining community mm. so you might have some professional players who come in and you know they start off professional they play the game at a very high level and they have won tournaments but to stream you need a different kind of beast you need to be able to talk you can't play a high level game and talk at the same time mm. so some professional players might take the leap over and become streamers and try to build that community some streamers might get so good at the game because they play it so much, they jump to the professional side but of course for people who have no name at all who have nothing coming up for them it's very hard for them to break into the industry i mean it does help if you're a good looking guy or girl it does help if you're entertaining irregardless of your sex you know gender who you are as a person really matters mm-hmm. how you want to interact how you want to present yourself yes it is hard to get noticed but it's the same with anything it's not mm-hmm. just streaming yeah. it's hard to get noticed in the world but go at it if you believe you can mm-hmm. the thing about streaming is it's not gonna cost you anything other than time
0: yeah, time, time and maybe, you know, a little effort to learn how to like make, you know, include songs or include like a donation board. Stuff like I would like that.
1: to point out that as, as finance-based as this thing is that we have to realise that we're living in a modern technology. Two years ago, there have been a problem. Now you go on YouTube, there are like 300 video guides on how
0: to do it. Exactly. You know,
1: people have made money off people trying to stream, you know. Exactly. And they're not even making money off you. They're making money off people watching the video how to do something. You know, like nowadays, whenever you need to quick fix something, just go on YouTube. Some guy who's done a video presentation or some girl who's done like a demonstration of how to do something. It's, it's
0: there. You know? Yeah. I guess this is also like a, a, a point to all those people who, you know, maybe they have an inkling to tr- to want to do something but they don't ever make that first step. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so I, can, I, can, you, I can just say, you know, go online. There's probably something for you out there if you want to do something. You want to build a website. If you want to start a, if you want to make a YouTube video. Anything. There's, there's probably like a tutorial or someone or out there. You can probably find a resource that will help you. Uh, with, with whatever you, it is that you want to do,
1: yeah. So uh, I completely agree with that, and I do apologize. I have my wrong computer open right now, but mm. there is a quote that is my wallpaper on my main computer, mm. and I believe it ties into exactly what you're trying to say right now. Yeah, and I think it's what. It there's a reason why I have it on my walls because I believe it applies to everything. And yeah. we might if I read it out loud for people. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah so sure it's by one know. of my
1: favorite authors of all time. I'm gonna sound slightly childish, but it's by Roald Dahl. Mm. And he says, I begin to realise how important it was to be an enthusiast in life. If you're interested in something, no matter what it is, go at it at full speed, embrace it with both arms, hug it, love it, and above all, become passionate about it. Lukewarm is no good. And I think that encapsulates just streaming and video games and everything about the esports industry. If you really think that this is who you are, if you really think that this is what you want to do, do it. You know, don't care what people say, just do it. If you don't make it, Fine, you fail like what Jack Ma says. Keep on doing. Yeah, you know, just keep doing what you love. And eventually, it will work out. If it doesn't, your life is still a hundred times better than majority of the world. That's what life is. Yeah, you know, there's no secret to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and, and th- 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 that's a very very interesting point because it's like this is sort of like the entrepreneur uh, mm. mantra, mm. which is that the secret the secret to success of all these like billionaires and all, all, all dead people uh, in the world, right? is that they fail a lot of times. They do, they don't just go on their first thing and then make it overnight, you know. Absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of people have maybe this sort of like misconception that, oh, they're, they're, they're there, they have it easy and stuff like that. Yeah. They work crazy hours yeah. and they put in a lot of effort to develop what they do. Yeah. Even and, and, and not not talking about like, say running like a full-fledged business or like a multi-billion business, talking about maybe just the streamer alone. He puts a lot of effort into building the brand and stuff like that as so, well. Yeah. yeah. He or she in the streamer? Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, for example, my my, my go-to streamer is Jackie Chan. I'm getting a shout-out to him right now. Play Hearthstone. Yeah. I actually joined his stream very simply, like, I think a year and a half ago to scold him. <laughs> I came online because I was one of those internet trolls and I wanted to tell him, well, basically, if I could be slightly... Pardon my French. Sure. I will just say, fuck you, Jackie Chan. Because <laughs> in Hearthstone, it's about a card game. He invented these two or three decks that had become very, very strong. Yeah. And I was free to play before that drunken incident that started this whole thing. Yeah. So... I kept losing to those decks, and I was super annoyed. So I went to fight him online, and I found out he was a streamer. So I went to his stream and I scolded him. I was like, "Dude, fuck you for inventing that shit!" And he was so nice. So I started watching him. At that time, he was I think he only had 50 to 70 viewers. Yes. And over the last two years, he's proven himself over and over again as a fun person, as an entertaining streamer. And sometimes he has pushed competitively as well. So now he streams between 700 to a 1, thousand, 180, you know, 1, thousand, thousand. I think the highest he's gone is like. Four, five thousand people watching him as well, mm. but the amount of effort he's put in to you know, and he's maintained that kind of decorum and who he is from the very start. You know, It's you're not gonna, no one's gonna go on stream and gonna make it the first day. You know, yes. unless you're maybe Mia Khalifa, but everyone knew who she was. Yeah, you know? and whoever, she had a name to her. You know, but if you're gonna go there the first time, you're obviously gonna fail. You're gonna have like no viewers. You're gonna have one viewer. You're gonna read guide after guide. You're gonna read article after article. But if you believe in it, you keep trying it. It's gonna pay off. You know, and that's why I think esports is about. It's, it's, it's what esports has always been Because when the people first started video games No one thought they would do it Exactly In the 1980s You know where Blizzard made Frozen Drone and Warcraft And the whole first patch You know No one really believed that yeah. You know we're going to be talking about A 15 million dollar 15 million dollar buy-in For Blizzard's Overwatch League Yeah Seven players have, uh, Seven teams have bought in right now At 15.5 million dollars Yeah You know, no, one's, no one thought about it that way You know people who were doing it you just kept doing it
0: Alright Okay, so, so that wraps up the sort of like the streaming side of the questions. I want to move on to talking about esports in general, mm, right? Sure. So is watching esports a fundamentally different viewing experience than regular sports? I think uh there are two pers- perspectives to
1: look at it. I think the first perspective is that you're always gonna have two people, right? People who played the game in any capacity and people who have never seen the game and never heard of it. Mm. So I think for people who've like played tennis, people who've played football, when you see Federer, when you see uh, Ronaldo when you see Suarez when you see yeah. these people doing the thing you know how difficult it is yeah. you understand fundamentally you're, you're like if you ever kick the football or try to hit a tennis ball and you see what these players do and you go holy crap when you see uh, is it not Serena or Venus Williams hit that ball with that much strength and tenacity yeah. you're like wow you know it's the same thing if you play video games at any level and you see the pros play you just take a moment you take a step back and go wow they're really good it doesn't matter whether you're watching tennis or esports and I think that's why they're similar so people who watch esports who play the game understand what is happening. Mm-hmm. Of course, it allows you to see the funny sides when they do make mistakes because yeah. you know it's a game. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. You know, people in football. I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan. I'll say yeah. Steven Gerrard slipped. Yeah. You know, there are things that happen. You know, yeah. uh, Roy King gets got sent off multiple times yeah, where he could yeah. have won games. You know, there are going to be mistakes and you can laugh at it because you play. And just like traditional sports, esports has the group of people who go there and go, "What the hell is going on?" I think with traditional sports, it's a lot slower sometimes. Like the actions don't happen in milliseconds. Maybe in football, the goals, and even tennis, the serves. But you understand the generic. You can see the two human beings there. You can kind of relate. You can do it. Well, if you're suddenly watching CS for the first time, you're watching Dota for the first time as a person who had no idea what's going on. To you, it's just a cacophony and like you know, it's just a symphony of sounds and noise, And mess of people screaming. So I think it's a bit jarring the first time. You know, I tried to get my parents to watch CS competitively, and they couldn't follow. Like they couldn't see when someone had died. They'd be like, someone shoot you know they couldn't understand so I think esports still has that barrier but what does help esports is that the people who play the games are willing to watch the games because the people who play after a while you realize well shit I'm not very good at this game and <laughs> uh, let's see how the pros are doing it <laughs> you, know? you know you never you never play tennis and go I wonder how Federer hit that shot you know because Federer's shots are gonna be different from yours but at a certain map at a certain level against a certain deck against a certain character the pro player has done it hmm. and they can tell you what they're doing because the game itself is limited to the amount number of iterations it can play so as vast as some games might have it the pro player would probably have been in your position so there's a lot more to learn so I think that with traditional sports it's a lot easier for me to go to for example an American football game and understand right but if I go to like an esports CS game and I go and I try to watch and follow I won't really be able to get it the one difference I will say though is that the esports community is always more helpful people Mm. who go to these events don't be afraid to ask. People will explain to you. People like the idea that you don't know. And people are not going to laugh at you It'd be necessary that you don't know what the, this mm. thing is. You know, they're going to say, oh, this is what's going on. He's winning. He's at an advantage. And I will say the same reaction, the same kind of crowd atmosphere when amazing things happen. If you watch the TI3 finals, if you watch, you know, Fnatic against Na'Vi in CS, that kind of things, the moments where, you know, where it's on the line. It doesn't matter whether you're watching esports or whether you're watching sports you can feel that tension in the room, that palpable kind of yeah. atmosphere yeah. that you want to grab, you know, yeah. fist palm in the air and scream, you know, that's there with esports as well. So I don't think it's fundamentally different. Yeah. It takes it's a lot harder to get a lot of people to watch it because they never played it and it's harder for them to kind of have some kind of uh, kind of connection, you know, with that as well. Yeah. So I think it takes uh, a bit more to get people into watching esports, but once they do, they'll find it just as addictive.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a double-edged sword if you kind of look at it. You're, you're talking about this, it's like, the, the, the fundamental difference between like esports and traditional sports is that there is a ton more detail that goes into it. Which is sort of like a stumbling block for viewers, because compared to like watching football or tennis where it's just like hitting a ball or 22 players hitting a ball, right? Now you have to think about different characters having different abilities, how, what, how they can affect the game on a micro level, how can, how can they can affect the game on a macro level. Which is difficult to get into, but once you get into it, there's so much depth you can talk about, you know? Like, like, like. think about this, right? In in esports comment, commentators, they have a full-time analyst and one who is doing the short-casting. In football, you have these two, but they don't really go into the technical side that much, you know. They don't say, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo has to hit this from like 30 degrees in order to get the perfect knuckleball or something like that, yeah. you know. <laughs> They'll be
1: like, it's the perfect summer's day today. <laughs> yeah. Ronaldo just had a child two yeah. days ago.
0: Yeah. And there he is. What a beautiful man! Yeah, but but at the same time, where 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 theoretically some might say you know this level of detail might be might take away some of the human aspect of the sport side of it. That's not really true. You still have tensions. You still have drama. You still have all these narratives within the esports community as well, which is I would say comparable to, to, to traditional sports. And, and and you look at maybe places like Korea where esports is huge, and these are these are the the, the, the pro players like celebrities there. You know, it's taken like a life of its own, basically. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think uh, how we're viewing it the problems that we see they're of course inherent because of what we are but eventually tensions will roll over on the simple basis that we change as a human perspective. And I'm saying that it's going to take over sports I'm not saying it's going to match sports I'm saying that our kids who are going to grow up have a very different perspective on things that Mm -hmm. we have. Mm -hmm. And it's just the way the world works. It's worked like that for the last well since as long as we can remember. Perspectives of certain things change. I I think it's beginning to happen a lot if you look and the economics of it, a lot of uh, former pro players in America uh, are forming teams. A lot of businesses are getting involved. Even football teams are now signing esports players. Yep. West Ham, for example, has signed two or three players. Yep. The Lakers have uh, online players yeah. as well. They have a few uh,
0: actual football leagues that have their own FIFA leagues. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, because people, crazy, And
1: right? also, it's also because the other industries are beginning to realise, well, they're making a lot of money. Put in perspective, Blizzard earned $1.97 billion in the first quarter of this year in pure profit. Hmm. people are beginning to realise it's not just video games, you know, even people who might not buy through the whole ethos of what video games are, just go going over, looking over the wall like well, they're doing quite well. There's <laughs> quite a lot of money there. We could make more, you know? It's what humanity is. It's, and it's, I, it's starting to
0: come out with the periphery of the, <laughs> the bankers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, all the bankers and the rest of the investors
1: are looking over like, maybe, we'll give it <laughs> another 20 years. You know? If it works out, we're going to make money. Out of it. But I think that the future is bright, but the future is uncertain. We shaped what esports are. The people before us yeah. shaped what esports are. Yeah. What's going to make esports esports is not us. It's too late for us. And it's going to be My niece is going to be the people after her, you know. It's going to be the kids who are coming up, how they're going to view gaming. And it's not... I think what we are supposed to do is we are supposed to be here and tell the rest of the people, it's not what you think it is. It's not a decadent way of spending life. The people who are doing it are as intelligent, are as Mm. humorous, are as Mm. flawed as everyone else. You know, it's just another way to do something. It doesn't mean it's wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. That that's uh, that's actually a fantastic segue into the next question. Sure. Because I want to talk about this issue, right? So in the, in the introduction, I mentioned uh, the esports lawyer Bryce Blum, and some of his gripes with Riot and the game League of Legends. You know, there, there was a case whereby one of his one of the teams that he manages, uh, Team Renegades, I think, they were barred for competing because they they had an allegation of uh, player misconduct, mm-hmm. but they weren't allowed to. To appeal this, uh, this this allegation at all, and they wouldn't uh, allow any means of sort of like uh, getting their players to to uh, to compete again. So in a sense, there's sort of like a single organisation that's, that's running over the entire thing and uh, taking control of like you know being the judge, jury, and executioner, in his own words. Uh. So what do you think about this kind of uh, criticism? <laughs> okay, so there's a, it's a very crucial difference
1: because at the end of the day, as much as Bryce Plum wants to go about and he wants to beat his fist, and I'm not saying anything wrong against him, I'm not saying, hmm. but I agree, I agree with him to a certain point of time, you're going to look and go, well, it's not really fair. The problem with the law, the problem with like, management and rules like this is that they, they don't matter until they affect you. Mm. People don't care what the postal service rule is. People don't care about the, the rules that govern, um, you know, online internet. People don't care about net neutrality. Pornhub, Pornhub of all people in the world had to slow down their porn videos to get people to pay attention to what was happening with net tra- neutrality. <laughs> you know, it shows you the perspective. People don't really care. So as much as Bryce is making this noise, it won't change soon because, fundamentally, these legal lawsuits are not there. There's not enough traction for people to take notice to protest. People aren't protesting against esports laws. People will protest against laws that discriminate against women, that discriminate against certain races. Mm. You know, Donald Trump's uh, Muslim ban, I'm doing air quotation marks mm. for now because I'm not going to off- offer my perspective on that. Mm. You know, They're going to get lawyers coming out in droves, going to the airport and going, no one's going to react to this yet. Is it done correctly? No, I agree with Bruce. It's wrong. How is it possible that a company decides everything? You know, they make the game. They can take away. For example, Solo only got banned four years, but people who cheated more recently in Dota mm. got permanently banned as well. Mm. You know, and this idea that eventually there'll be sporting organizations that run it as a, like a uh, administrative body, it's good. It's good. It's, it's a good idea. But let's look at the current existing administrative body, FIFA. One of the greatest, greatest yeah, they, things. They, they are
0: monopolies essentially.
1: Right? Yeah, they are. But they exist. But they're corrupt. Yeah. They're facing embezzlement schemes. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that Bryce is right it shouldn't be done this way. There should be proper channels for us to go and go, you can't say this, you might have made the game, but people are playing it. Problem is, the laws there are not developed. Mm. The only way we seem to know to do these things are through sporting organisations. The FA, for example, the Football Association, until today, still has issues about the whole idea that you can't speak out against a referee. Mm. You know, a manager can't go out and go, he made the wrong call, even when the referee made the wrong call. There was that famous Arsenal game, I can't remember the name of the referee, but he sent off, he red-carded the wrong player. Yeah? Well, you know, there was no statement That was ever given There was no excuse There was no remiss And Asa At the end of the game is Still gonna go out and go That referee was bad Because FA would have fined him You know <laughs> I'm not saying that Bryce is wrong But I'm saying that There is no seemingly There is no answer to it You know It's going to be that way For now Because no one cares enough To change the industry mm. And when it does We'll do it the only way We know how Which will be to form An administrative body But then based on Current transactions And uh, what has happened It's like it's not, They're not really Going to work well So I'm saying that eventually we will develop this administrative body of how we want to progress and how we want to deal with player mismanagement, player abuse or, you know, uh, paying fines and uh, hopefully we don't take the root of FIFA, we don't take the root of this like FA mm. and like China for example has a mandatory kind of uh, organisation, they've been accused of finding players for uh, unscrupulous reasons, issi got fined $80,000 for not wearing a jacket to an event when in the same organisation they had not paid him 250000 for his previous yeah, winnings yeah. and right now I think three months ago there's a report that came out that the current number one organisation in China is uh, going under. Because the people that are funding it are pulling out and there's a whole political background to it yeah. that is very hard to discuss in this podcast. Yeah, But I agree. Should the teams be managing it the way they are? No. Should there be an administrative body? Possibly. Will it work? I still say no. I still say, until enough people get affected by it, at the end of the day, you're not gonna, you're gonna read about it because Messi evaded taxes, but you're not gonna care about it. Mm. You're not gonna want to change the law, see, find out whether the tax management has done the correct way. Mm. The same thing right now. You're not gonna go to the gaming, you're not gonna go to riot and say, no, you shouldn't do that, that's not fair. You're not know, the rule of law. The rule of law was fought for in England in the 13th to 15th century. With over us, people died for the Magna Carta. You know, people died for law to become the things. Yeah. I think esports law will borrow off the facets of administrative law. It will borrow off the facets of contract law. It will borrow all these things. But until it matters enough for people to step in and go, you shouldn't be doing this, it will continue the way it is. Well, yeah. Whether I think it's right, is a whole different question.
0: Yeah. So one of the reasons, of course, why, why issues like this persist in the esports industry, because as of now, it's still considered sort of like a growing industry, right? It's not really at its peak, nor is it like sort of in the late stages. It's still in the early stages. Some would even say call it like the Wild West in the moment whereby uh, there's a lot of money to be made, a lot of gold to be, to be had. But then at the same time, there's a lot of like funny things that are going on in the background. So talking about the legal aspect, right? What do you think is like the, Sort of like the ideal standard that you want the esports industry to be.
1: I think we would need, if you want to ask, well, that's a relatively difficult question. Mm. I think also fundamentally, so it's because law, the law itself is. I wouldn't say the easiest I could say it would be it's slow to react. Mm. If you want to look at something slow to react, you look at look at the arguments they're still having today about the Second Amendment in America, mm. the right to bear arms. See. Question then was what arms? Did, you know, did they intend for them to bear assault rifles with certain cartridge? Yeah. You know, some people argue it doesn't matter what arms it was. It was the idea. It wasn't the yeah. type of arms. You know, yeah. we still have this like this dichotomy, this kind of disjunctive between what is and what not over the Second Amendment.
0: Mm. You
1: know, it's been there since 1875 or something like that, and yeah. people are still fighting over it. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So what I say is the problem with uh, law, when it comes to this is going to be. If we're seeing it now. My, my roommate actually did an advanced master's in digital law. He perhaps would be the better person for you to ask about this kind of thing. Mm. I did, like I more there the laws of war. Yeah. But one thing I can say is that a lot of the laws that exist today for harassment, protection, copyright, they were not made to do with video games. And they, they are changing, they are developing... No one could have anticipated how vast this internet thing would have become. Bitcoin, mm. unregulated by normal day modern standards, unfollowed transactions, all this kind of thing. The law is struggling to adapt in a lot of fronts, not just video games. The law is trying to evolve into the 21st century. It's doing a relatively okay job. Questions about net neutrality, which we talked about earlier, yeah. they're also there. So, if you're asking me how I think law should develop, I don't think I have an answer because the law itself is fundamentally unsure. It was not built to deal with these things. We need new ideas, new inspirations. I would say, perhaps not an administrative body, but a group of people who are motivated enough, who are inclined enough to come up together and come together from a world perspective and say, you know, this should be how you should do it. This is how you should do something. But at the end of the day, what's going to happen is they're probably going to end up like a worse version of the Red Cross. Now, the Red Cross mm. has some kind of political power. Mm. But until today, nations don't have to listen to it. They don't have to go, yes, there is law. You know, if the Red Cross says something, is horrible, you can't do it in war. People agree, but they don't have to be bound by it. Mm. Same thing, even if this administrative body comes out, even the suggestion I have of people to come together, the game industries have no obligation at all to listen to it. Mm. You see, there is no one that can force them to. At the end of the day, it's their game. And there is a fundamental kind of flaw. And I don't think I'm smart enough as a lawyer or well-versed in the digital (laughs) side of the law to give you an answer to that question. But I can say that the law is developing, but it develops at a way slower pace than how online develops. There's so many different issues that you need to solve. Can a streamer... Does this, who owns the content of a stream?
0: Yeah.
1: Does the video game company do it because he's playing the video game? Does the streamer own it? Does the platform own it? Can we copy a certain portion? Does he technically own a copyright to it? These are all questions that are, are not answered. And they do not have enough money for you to answer them right now. Because to go to court and figure out these questions cost a lot of money. Hmm. So I can't give the answer about how it should develop and why it should develop a certain way. I think eventually it will. But like I say, you need the impetus for it too. The laws that exist... Uh, Bruce and the guy on YouTube that you're talking about, they're all lawyers who have done contract, done company, done copyright, done related laws that are applying it to the esports field. Mm. Of course, across is not going to come across because they don't exist yet. Mm. So uh, I think it's a very different uh, ideology altogether. So it all depends on a lot of multifaceted uh, approaches that I don't think a single person could possibly analyse right now.
0: Right, so, so that's uh, a that's set of the, the, the questions about esports and Now move on to the last uh, section of questions, talking about esports community, which is of course a vital part of, uh, as, as we mentioned, you talked about earlier, the, the esports or maybe streaming culture, right? So f- fundamentally, I wanted to ask you as a first question, what do you think is the role of the esports community in maybe building the game or maybe building the industry?
1: I mean, I don't know where this interview is going. And I don't know whether you eventually do come to it. But I think with any community, irregardless, Hmm. which, by the way, you can use the spoken word, irregardless, (laughs) irregardless of what it is, there'll always be a negative side of any community. There's always a dark side. Yeah. You know, in common day society, we know them as the uh, the racists. Yeah. We know them as the people who kill, people who murder. You know, sometimes from different social reasons and different multifaceted reasons. Yeah. They transpose all the same to online. I say we have to address that first if we're going to talk about the community as a whole. Mm. Every community has its own segments and pockets of things that are unfortunate. I think it perhaps it's more pervasive and online because you're hidden. If mm. you choose to be hidden, no one can actually know who you are. You can say horrible, horrible things to people. You can be racist. There has been racist incidents with personal players like Terrence. Mm. You can be sexist. You can attack people based on their gender, which is just... Wrong and disgusting, mm. like you know, from a common sense. But there's no one, there's no reprehension to you, there's no one reprimanding you other than maybe a timeout or a ban on a particular channel. So, I think we need to tackle all that and say there is a glut of darkness and a glut of things that we need to address within the online community as a whole. There are problems that we need to fix. Hmm. As to the outside person, I believe what the online community needs to do, and it's very hard to do it as a collective whole because it's a mismatch of everyone at different time zones around the world coming together. Hmm. But I think what we need to do is to look at it and go, we are not just this. We are not just the people living in our basements and the people you know who are unable to speak, unable to socialize, unable to do anything else. You know, it's not what you think it is. It's not this dark, seedy part of the internet. It's yeah. not people have given up hope and life all yeah. these people are more intelligent and more bright have achieved more things than you ever will yeah you know it's that kind of thing it's just it's just another facet of humanity you know it's, it's, you're not gonna you're not gonna go there for political advice you're not gonna go there about how to file your taxes you're not gonna go there and ask about marriage and love advice yeah you're not you're going there for a different thing altogether yeah so I think that the online community has a kind of duty incumbent upon it to kind of make other people go Look at us, we're not that strange. But before we can even do that, we need to look within the online community and go, well, we do have problems. We do have people who are abusing others based on their skin, based on their gender, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. wrong. And um, we need to find a harder stance, a harder line on that. And then only can we go out to the rest of the world and go, look at us. We're, we're not grown-ups, we're not kids. We're just people. People who like doing something.
0: Sort of like to establish some like values or some shared beliefs. I
1: wouldn't say, I would say values or shared beliefs is hard as well. I think it's more just people... It doesn't matter drawing method. the drawing the line. Yeah, obviously. there are there, certain things that you need to fix and make sure that the community itself doesn't get inflated by a certain group of people. Mm. You know, like it's very easy on life or culture, uh, something to spread. You know, it spreads, it goes viral mm. a lot faster. In a chat room, it can go out of control very fast because no one can actually know who you are. You can say horrible, mean things. Mm. I think if you watch uh, real life, I think in the, the UK parliamentary speeches just like three days ago, mm. can't remember her name, unfortunately. One minister of parliament, uh, this woman, she was speaking very profoundly on this idea of racism and how it wasn't correlated to the elections, it was correlated to the rise of online. Because last time if you wanted to write something racist, something heinous, something malicious, you had to sit down, write a letter, take the letter, you had to put it in the envelope, you had to put a stamp and you had to mail it with the intention to hurt someone. Yeah. Right now online is just four words. Five words. You know? That's all you need to do. And you click send and it's there. Yeah. You know? Online has the ability to be abused in this sense a lot more than any other community. Yeah. So I think we need not to draw the line but to kinda of look within ourselves and realise that we are we represent. We are the online. We are gonna be the online for as long as we are. And we need to show them that look at us, we're not just this misfits, this disjunctive people. Mm. We are more than that. We are an industry that you should be looking at. We're industry worth a lot more. We yeah. have a lot more depth to offer. We yeah. are more organic than anything else that actually exists online. We are actually an amalgamation between the two. Yeah. We're as close as you possibly could get to organic views on an on a online device. We're not just numbers on a TV, we are numbers that can talk to you. Yeah. And just coming back to your Jimmy Kimmel thing, we are thinking we can go, well, screw you, Jimmy Kimmel. We are right here, right now, we're watching you. <laughs> I mean, people watching your YouTube are the exact same people who are watching you on Twitch. It's the same thing, man. <laughs> like, yeah. People wouldn't expect YouTube to be a billion dollar industry. When I first joined YouTube, there were very soft-core porn videos on it. <laughs> right now, there are still softcore porn <laughs> videos on it. Yeah. But so, only so now they earn
0: you a lot more money. <laughs> To so, sort so, so of like To summarise the idea is Maybe You know Sort of like The community has Not say as a whole But maybe within these individuals, They have to learn To take responsibility For, for the actions so, it, You know this this gift of the, of the online It makes a lot of things Easier for us It makes a lot of things More beautiful But at the same time You have to be able To 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 respect the gift You're given Or respect what technology Has given you To use it wisely uh.
1: Yeah I mean like Spider-Man just came out yeah. And you can say Like you know Be cliche And great power comes Great responsibility I haven't watched it do Uh, I don't even know whether he does it in the movie. Don't spoil it for me if you have. But I would say it comes with anything, right? But right now, the people who are online, uh, people who are online, they have the ability to reach. But again, like I said... Don't come to the online thing expecting political help, you know? It's that kind of thing when you ask, like, a football player or a pop star what do you think about a certain perspective and they say horrible, dumb thing and the world goes, oh my god, why would you say that? And you should go, well, because they're pop stars and football players. Why the hell are you asking them that questions? Don't ask them that. Don't ask them whether Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton should have won the damn elections. Don't ask them political things. They're the wrong people to do it. Yes, they have more access. You could probably merchandise them like crazy. You could sell brands through them. And of day, remember, there's two video players. They might be intelligent But they're not the be all and all Of the young generation Mm. They're just scions Of a particular group of people And they will be that But They also have to realise They do have a power You know it's like A kind of question People always ask Why is Justin Bieber You know why did he make it To the the Times Top 100 influential people You want to know why Because if Justin Bieber At that point in time tweeted to every teenage girl And boyfriend that he had To wear a pink shirt And turn out in this particular street And he would say hello to them They would turn out In hundreds of thousands he has that kind of power you know whether you like his music whether you hate his music you can't deny that he Mm. has that say and this is what streamers might eventually develop into they do something and say something they can command attention and they need to be respectful of that but this level right now nobody's doing that people are going there for entertainment and fun because the numbers attract one another
0: yeah
1: but it's not at that levels yet not
0: yet yeah all right so uh i want to talk about another facet of Mm. the community right So, in many ways, online platforms such as Reddit, they enable gamers uh, to voice complaints about games <laughs> and even to influence change, right, in terms of like the game mechanics and stuff like that. However, in some sense, this is also bred an environment where gamers nitpick about every single inconvenience. This is very prominent in the Dota 2 Reddit, where people, they, they, they always start posts with, Dear Valve, can you please do, do this, 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 and this, and expect the developers to fix all their problems. So what is your stance on this issue? Do you think that game developers should address every single problem or do you think that gamers should love to learn to live with the game?
1: I think that, again, it's a whole different ballgame. It's like it's always this kind of... And I'm not blaming the podcast or blaming people or saying yeah. anything. Saying it's very hard to understand. I'm not saying I do understand it as well. But my perspective of why you can't really translate one thing into another yeah. is because right now, I'm pretty sure if you go to HBO right, and you ask them, how many letters do you actually receive about Game of Thrones? and they'll probably tell you any anywhere between a number between a hundred to maybe even ten thousand complaint letters. Right. The problem is the online gaming platform doesn't have a place to write letters to. You know, you're not going to write letter Just like I said earlier You're not going to sit down yeah. You're going to go on Reddit And you're going to post And the thing is Any Tom, Dick and Harry can do it You know, doesn't matter whether you're Felicia or Felicity You can post something dumb as shit yeah. You know, and people will read it Because we have nothing better to do Because that's the only <laughs> forum we have yeah. And that's going to be there Because people are there And people like these kind of things Because they're funny They're entertaining You can pick fun You know, people obviously At this position So as you have another person With another position You start a fight And it's online mm. You know And should the game developers Listen to it Yes and no because it's hard for them to listen to all the voices that play the game. Mm. I think at the end of the day, the game developers, as much as they are, they, are, they love the game, they're financed also by how much the game makes. Mm. You know, as much as everyone loves maybe an indie game, if they're not making money, you're not paying for it. Who's going to pay for it? Mm. You know, they should look at the sales. You should look at streams. I think two days ago, um, Leaked, which is this website or something along those lines, they came out with the tom- top 10 video game titles whose uh, audiences disappeared after the last six months. So mm. games like, you know... Uh, the Division came mm. out, did well, completely fell. You mm. know, the the playtime has completely gone down. You know, the multiple games, evolved with one of them, came out, huge followership, fell. No Man's Sky, again, huge kind of boom, fell. The idea is maybe they weren't paying enough attention, maybe they were paying too much attention. You had to look individually at these companies. But I think it's for them to pay attention to everything is wrong. Mm. But obviously, Reddit is a good place to go. At the end of the day, you're going to have some gems from Reddit, no matter what it is. going to have a lot yeah. of shit, You're going to have a lot of shit on Reddit (laughs) because people can post whatever the fuck they want and people will do it. And there are a lot, like I said, that even in the online community, there is toxic parts that will do stupid things. So you're going to see a lot of it. Sometimes they do have valid consents and sometimes they don't. But I think it's a good way for them to interact. And I think based on how you view traditional companies and corporations, how they interact with people, mm. it's almost non-existence. They have PR teams who work and tell them how you should look more human to human perspective. Right. At least there's some kind of interactions. You say Valve and you say Dota and you say IceFrog comes to the Reddit stream. Mm. You know, he goes there and he goes, well, yes, right, this is why I do it. You know, so that. It's a bit more personal then but I don't think they should be listening to everyone. I'm saying that eventually there are some gems and some truths on Reddit that will come true because... Honestly, if you're speaking the truth, people will listen to you. Mm. you know, it doesn't matter.
0: But particularly maybe in maybe in the area of let's say bugs or you know, stuff that are co- that are really, really broken yeah. within the game. You know, the community can help to like raise this issue that, yes. and, and make it easier for developers to sort of like quickly fix that sort of thing. Yeah. So maybe in the in the SFX it's easier to say yes, they should go ahead and listen yes. to these kind
1: of things, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think it'd be a lot easier, like it's a lot easier. But like I say it's just like any other forum, if you could have a game of thrones like Reddit. I'm probably I probably sure there is. Probably there is It there. probably is, but yeah. like, you know, they're not gonna complain that much or the letters that they are sent back to the Game of Thrones people are mm-hmm. probably by the crazy people. Only thing about the online gaming world is that the crazy people also have Reddit accounts. <laughs> so yeah. Alright. I'm pissing off Reddit right now. Well done, Reddit.
0: <laughs> right, so with that uh, brings the end of today's episode. Thank you very much, yeah. Zenshi, for being a guest on the show. So do you have any shout outs or do you have like a website or social media page you wanna plug?
1: Uh for well, right now, I don't think I have a very well developed uh, page. You can find me at zonshare.com. It's mm. my website. I do blogs from time to time. I haven't posted in yeah. a while because I've been doing my thesis. Yeah, you can find uh, your resume there too. Yeah. As... <laughs> yeah. But uh, the shout outs I do want to do is like I said, I mentioned, if you all are interested in watching some streams, I love Hearthstone. I write about Hearthstone, so I'm going to plug some Hearthstone streams right now. Mm. I have Jackie Chan, who I talked about earlier. You can mm. find him. Mm. Uh, not the Chinese actor. He doesn't stream. Mm. Maybe he does in the future. You never know. Let's Control the Board, plays yeah. while, and there's uh, Patra. She uh, captains Team New Zealand who did well in the Hearthstone Global Games. They just yeah. qualified top eight right now. So Jackie Chan, controller bot Petra, go look out for them if you're interested in Hearthstone or just... Seeing what streaming is about, mm. and that uh, thank you, Danny, for interviewing me. I just say now, these are my own perspectives. Like you know, I might be wrong, I might be right, but it's what I think the online gaming world is like, and yeah. I want to hopefully go in it. And maybe in a year or two, if you do, if you're still doing this, come back to me and see that my perspective has changed.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and of course, thank you, thank you for being here. And the reason why I wanted, I wanted to ask you because. You know, I, I, looked at, I look at esports and streaming as a whole, and, and I find it really amazing that it's grown to this state, people are actually doing this, making a living, getting rich of this. And I wanted to ask someone with like a background uh, who, who's, who's been involved in the industry to talk about talk about it more in depth. Yeah, yeah sure. So So thank you for coming on. No problem. All right. So as usual, if you like the show, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or leave a rating or review. You can follow the social media pages of the Economical Rice Podcast at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to follow up on later shows or to leave any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. So thank you for listening. This has been your host, Danny, at the Economical Rice Podcast with guest Sancher Husref. I hope you tune in next week where we're here. We serve the grains of capitalism.